Good morning. My name is Glenn. It's good to see all of you on this beautiful day here at First Community Church. I want you to know that my wife, Julie, and I are just uh, so pleased to be here. We've been here since February 16th when we first arrived in town, and we've enjoyed getting to know Columbus, getting to know many of you, and we look forward to many, many days and months and years of, of ministry together. I, I know I saw my wife leave the North Campus. I think she's here. Here's Julie right over here. Would you say hi to Julie, too, please? <laughs> In the church, you and I are called to invite each other to a gracious life. We're called to give ourselves to each other in kindness, love, and grace. I know that sounds simple, but it's true. To live in kindness, to be, to be covered in grace, to be open and affirming to all that we encounter are the simple gifts that the church is called to give to each other and to the world. Is this a small thing? Oh, it seems like it is. But small things are the ones that open us up to the brighter and broader visions and vistas that God is setting before us. When we can do the small things well, being kind to a neighbor, gracious to a friend, then God is preparing our hearts for even greater and more marvelous things. I, I, I want you to know, you've probably already discovered this about me, I'm something of a, of a theological nerd. I love to dive into uh, arcane conversations about fine little points of theology, not just in Christianity, but in, in other religions too. I enjoy that kind of conversation, but sometimes in the life of the church, we get distracted by that sort of work and we forget what we're called to do and be, how we're called to be as a congregation, as a community of faith. You see, we're, we're, we're simply called to reflect on the life and the teachings of Jesus. And it's important to see then that in those simple and beautiful proclamations, Jesus sets before us a path that leads to a life, to an abundant life, a rich life, a full life. Paul was at his best when he focuses on, on the teachings of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul sometimes wandered down some roads that got, got him in trouble. We're still arguing with him about some of those things. But when he's at his best, he's focusing on the teachings of Jesus. And you heard the word this morning. Jim read it for you a moment ago. For there is therefore now no condemnation. A clear word. A simple one. In other words, God's singular desire is to save the entire world, to bring everyone into a life that's worth living. When I use the word save, I'm thinking of it in the terms of the Greek word, which is sozo, which means to save for life, to give a life, to live a life that is full and rich and abundant, overflowing with grace. That's what salvation means. It's not about being saved from punishment in hell or some silliness like that. No, it's about being alive in the moment, in the day wherever you may be. It really is that simple. Uh, I, I, speaking of simple, one of, the, one of the hardest things to do is a children's moment. Have you ever seen a children's moment? I know you've seen them before, right? You know where the pastor comes down and sits on the chancel here? The church I served in Kansas City has a, a children's moment at the 11 o'clock service. It was the most nerve-wracking moment of the service for me. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I've preached in front of hundreds, even thousands at times, and I, I get a little worked up for the sermon, but I'm never as nervous in the pulpit as I am on the chancel with the kids. Because you never know, God doesn't know what they're going to say or do. <laughs> well, I heard about this one, one, one church that had a children's moment, and the pastor invited all the children down, and the, the girls and the boys sat all around him. He said, now, girls and boys, I, I want you to help me uh, think about something and see if you can guess what I'm thinking, which is a dangerous question. <laughs> dangerous. But he looked at, the, looked at the kids, and he said, now, now let's, be, let's be clear. I'm thinking... I'm thinking of something that's gray and furry and has a big fluffy tail and likes to climb trees. This little boy raised his hand. He said, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> now, now we, we, we laugh about that a little bit, but you know what? Maybe so. Maybe in the church, the answer always ought to be Jesus. Because if we look at the life of Jesus and the teachings that he proclaimed, we find someone who will give us salvation. That is new life in the moment now. When we let his way, his life guide us, Jesus then helps us see that God's singular desire, the one purpose of God, is to bring you and I into a relationship with the holy and with each other that is defined in every moment and every day by the very grace of God. Jesus did not come, let us be clear. Jesus did not come to create a new religion. He did not come to build a wall. He did not come to erect barriers to separate those who are in and those who are out. No, he came to destroy the walls, to tear down the barriers, to not worry so much about the particulars of religion, but to invite everyone to be in a life filled with love. In fact, Jesus was at his best when he quoted from the prophet Hosea. Hosea lived 700 years before Jesus. He was a preacher in Israel. Israel was confused about what really mattered the most. And Hosea was kind of this fire and brimstone guy, but he got all charged up one day and he preached this sermon that really got to the heart of it. And he said, what God wants, what God wants is your chesed. It's Hebrew for steadfast love. What God desires is your love, your continuing love, your ongoing love. We, we can argue about the color of the carpet and the way the chancel should be arranged and aligned and we can worry about whether we sing that hymn or give this prayer or do all that. But ultimately what God wants, those things matter, yes. But ultimately what God wants is you and your love. Nothing more, nothing less. A few years ago I was in Haiti leading a mission trip. We were there following that, that just devastating earthquake that did so much damage, took the lives of so many. As a part of the work that we were doing, I was invited as the pastor, as the lead pastor on the trip to uh, give some lectures at the seminary there in Port-au-Prince. Had, a, had a, a translator, young 18-year-old man named uh, Pierre Covan. He liked to be called Covan. He translated for me in uh, all the lectures that I gave. And then as a part, of, we expected this would happen as a part of that, that week. Our host church, our host congregation invited me to, go, to deliver the sermon on Sunday morning. I said, I'd, I'd be glad to do it. I was up on a chancel and it was an outdoor uh, sanctuary uh, with a roof and just pillars holding up the roof, no walls. If you've been to Haiti or if you've been in that area, you would not be surprised to learn that it was 137 degrees that day <laughs> and pretty humid. But it was beautiful to be in that space with those folks. It's a space that would seat maybe 200, and there had to be 300 just packed in there to worship with us on that, on that particular day. I was a little nervous, though. I was sitting next to Covan, my translator, and I, I leaned over, and I, I said, uh, Covan, I, I'm, just, I'm just nervous. I'm, I'm worried. I hope everything goes okay. And he said, Pastor, 
It's not about you. <laughs> 18, 18 years old. And then that wise young man said, the Spirit is here. Let the Spirit fill you. Give them a word. And so I stood. I looked out at that congregation and I said to them, there is nothing, nothing you can do to make God love you less. Covan gave the translation and I could see heads nodding up and down. I went on, I said, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. You are already right now the apple of God's eye. You are God's beloved child. When God saw you at your birth, God said, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, you right now are the apple of God's eye. I, I went that way in the sermon because I wanted them to know that the horrific theology they had heard from a kind of an infamous TV preacher here in the United States was completely wrong. He'd said that they were being punished by God because of their religious practices and some other silliness like that. I wanted them to know in that moment of God's singular love. Uh, as a pastor, I know that we don't necessarily have to go through a terrible earthquake or a, a life-changing storm. Although last week, I, that tornado did get my attention, <laughs> just so you know. We don't have to go through something like that to feel broken, wounded, abandoned, to feel as though we've been forgotten, that no one knows our name. Last week, I was at Akita, spent a couple days up there with Dick Wang. Dick and I talked about the church and my dreams for this ministry and our, our new relationship with, with each other, and it was a great time. And then, then uh, later the next day in the afternoon, Scott Nickel, who's the, the executive director up at Akita, he came and picked me up and drove me all around camp, all, took me and showed me all kinds of things. And then we went to Bald Eagle, which he said was named in honor of me. <clears throat> well, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> went on a long hike, had a great time, and then we got to the end, we got back to the main lodge there, and he, he, he said, Glenn, I want to tell you something. I want you to know what happens here. When those kids check in and they arrive, our goal is to help them forget about the anxiety and the worry and the fear that they, that they experience every day in school, sometimes at home. Our, our goal is to help them know that they have a name and we know it. It takes a couple of days, but by the middle of the week, we want them to know, and by the time they leave, we want them to understand that they are known by name, that God knows their name, and God's love will never be taken from them. Do, do you know what his words are a reflection of? The Apostle Paul's writing this morning, there is therefore now no condemnation, for you are already the apple of God's eye. What we're saying to those kids at Akita is what we say to every person who comes into our ministry here. There is therefore no condemnation. None. You know, I looked at that word though in the Greek and it means literally to, to create a mode of downward judgment. Can you see what that looks like? I'm not wearing my glasses this morning, but if I had them on, I'd kind of push them down to the bottom of my nose and kind of look down like this. To create a mode of downward judgment, to look down upon another, to put them down. It also means, when you act that way, that you miss your own need. We miss our own need for affirmation, 
for grace, for forgiveness. When we fail to receive grace, it's almost impossible to give it to another person. When I was in the fifth grade, I attended a little Christian church in Montebello, California. That's in Southern California in, in East L.A., kind of right in the center of L.A. County, Los Angeles County. We had Bring a Friend Sunday. So everybody in the fifth grade Sunday school class, including me, was invited to go out and invite a friend, bring a friend the next Sunday. So I did. I brought two friends, invited my two best buddies from school. Came to Sunday school, had a good time, stayed for worship. After the service is over, they, they went on home. A week later, I went back to Sunday school, and Mrs. Schwartz, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, said to me before class, it's too bad about your friends. They're going to go to hell. I said, Mrs. Schwartz, I, I don't understand. She said they're Roman Catholic. If they don't change their beliefs, they'll be punished forever. Now, I, I was quite worried when I heard this. My friends took their faith seriously. They prayed over their lunch every day at school. They were Roman Catholic. They went to church every Sunday. They went to catechism on Wednesday nights. They, they were some of the kindest, coolest guys I'd ever met in my whole life. I invited them because I knew they'd say yes. I, they, great guys. I thought to myself, if, if they're going to hell, where am I going? <laughs> but then I thought, if Mrs. Schwartz is in heaven, I don't think I want to go there either. <laughs> You know, I wish, I wish we could say that this terrible theology is not around, but it still permeates Christianity in the United States. Ask the average person on the street, uh, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the average person, Philip Yancey did this research, the average person will say to you, oh, to be judgmental, to condemn, to look down upon. In fact, at the, at the 915 service this morning, I greeted folks at the door, and someone came through the door, and there were tears, a man man about my age, tears in his eyes. He said, I've been hearing this almost every day of my life from people I care about. But let's, let's be clear, though. We can't blame this solely on the church. How many, how many folks do you know? Maybe you are one of these folks are going to wake up tomorrow morning with a, with a terrible feeling in the pit of your stomach, anxious about work, knowing it's going to be mean-spirited, knowing there are going to be folks who are saying things that will put you down and make you feel like you're almost less than human. How many of you, don't raise your hand, of course, but how many of you feel that way already? How many kids tomorrow? I could take you to Kansas City and introduce you to dozens and dozens of kids, high schoolers, middle schoolers, children even, who are scared to death on Monday morning because of the way they're treated at school, the things that are said and done. And, and, and why, did, why, why does that happen at school? It's a reflection of what they see in the adult culture. Watch the news for 10 minutes, you'll see it. You see, this is why we, we Christians, we, we read the Bible. It's why we sing about the teachings of Jesus. It's why we come back here week after week after week to hear ancient words. We have a message that could change the world. Grace is a thought that could change the world. If you're a rock and roll fan, or at least if you're an old rock and roll fan like me, you recognize perhaps those words come from a song titled Grace by the rock band U2. Grace, it's a name for a girl. It's also a name that could change the world. There's great truth there. It's a simple reminder of the one purpose of God, to live our lives with each other in the light of God's all-encompassing grace. This is the vision set forth for the church. The fundamental need for the church today is a right spirit. Not just this church, 
the church universal, a spirit of hope and grace. It's not easy to undertake. It may mean that we'll have to have some hard conversations, look at some difficult things to really get to know again what it means to be a vibrant life, a lively person of Christian faith. Several years ago, Julie and I were leading a high school retreat for some of the brightest and best kids we'd ever been around. These kids, most of them were seniors in high school. They were straight-A students. Most of them had already been accepted into Ivy League schools, some amazing academic institutions. And we're, frankly, we were a little intimidated by, by these kids, and yet we agreed, oh, well, let's go on retreat. Our theme verse was from Psalm 51. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. There's a a little chorus set to music that follows that same verse. We read it and then we sang it through three times together. I was supposed to speak at that moment, but Julie put her hand on my knee. That was her way of saying, sit, be still. She's got a big heart, a gracious heart. She looked out and she could see that the kids were weeping. There were just tears streaming down their face. And so she said, what are you feeling right now? What are you experiencing? This one girl, we'll call her Rebecca, that's not her name. She and Julie and I are still friends on Facebook. We we keep tabs on her. She looked up with those tear-filled eyes and she said, I cannot believe how often I judge others, how often I I look down my nose at other people. I I need a new spirit. Julie, she said, "I, I need a right heart. I need a right heart. Her tears and her realization in that moment meant that the new spirit was already present and already at work within her soul. It was already taking hold of her and heading her in a new direction. Now, it may sound, when I tell a story like this, quote scripture like this, that I'm asking you to completely reorient your life and go in a new direction. Well, if you need to, then do, please. But I bet for most of us, for most of us, it begins with the simple recognition that we are not condemned, that we are invited to live our lives in the light of God's grace. Hear these words from Pastor Rob Bell. He writes, if you feel stuck in your life like it's passing you by, like there's something way better for you somewhere out there and you're missing it, try this. Now now listen, try this, he says. Try throwing yourself into the small things and repeating to yourself, this is where I start. He's a good pastor and a wise man. It's the small things. It's the small things that lead us to the broader vistas, the grander visions, the amazing dream that God has for us, for the world. First Community Church, this is where we start. This is where we begin. Uh, I've been on staff now for 18 days. I still can't find the bathroom. It's been quite a roller coaster. But we have some big dreams here, amazing vision. There's a broad vista before us. And I look forward to listening to the staff, to the the lay leaders, the governing board, to all of you, frankly, as we begin this time of ministry together, of sharing and dreaming and visioning for our future. But as Pastor Bell says, let's pour ourselves into the small things 
and allow the new thing that God is ready to do to take root in our hearts and souls. Because remember, Grace, it's a name for a girl. And it's also a thought that could change the world. A brighter vision could not be found. Amen.